This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that doesn't cry over spilt milk, but investors in infant formula shares could well be doing so. My name's Andrew Page, and joining me, as always, is Scott Phillips. Welcome, Scott. G'day, Andrew, and happy new year, fools. Thanks for listening. Yes, happy new year, 2017. The year that I thought we'd have flying cars and robots, but sadly, <laughs> it's still in the in the distant future. We've got Donald Trump. We've got Donald Trump, so yeah, there is that. that. Yeah. There is, yeah. sorry, no, that's well, a behind door number three. Some bleak dystopian future. <laughs> Today, what are we going to talk about? Well, a few things. We were talking about Bellamy's at the end of last year. Well, that saga continues. So we're going to catch up on the latest there. We're also going to talk a bit about the folly of forecasting. It is that time of year where you see a whole bunch of forecasts from all kinds of pundits. And we just have a look at that record and really, I guess, what's worth listening to there. And then we talk about a really interesting saga that's developed over the last couple of weeks or so. An investment company CEO selling out for a 70% discount and Solpat's there cleaning up. So Scott, let's go to Bellamy. Let's white gold. It was just. It was. It was such. It was so hot uh, last year. You know, uh, we A two um, Bellamy's. Mm-hmm. You know, shares just going through the roof. Blackmore's launched Infant Formula. Infant Brands Book, coming they from were everywhere there as well. <clears throat> and it was all about China, China, China. It was. And and look, a lot of money was made there. And then subsequently, <laughs> as it turns out, it was lost. So, um, and not only that, but there might be more losses to come. There might be. So, Mm. very, very quickly, if you could, Scott, let's just bring our listeners up to speed for those who may have not been following the story. Do you already? So, look, Bellamy's infant formula. If you don't have a kid at home, you're not aware of it. Um, Infant formula was all about there was Heinz, there was A2, there was NAN, S26, all the stuff you used to. And then Bellamy's came along, and Bellamy's kind of took the market by storm. I want to say they had something like a 20% market share in Australia at one point. Yeah. They were in a, they were in China. And most importantly, for, at least for this story, they were selling a whole lot of product from Australian supermarkets to Chinese consumers by virtue of Chinese kind of on-sellers known as Daigu in the, in the trade. Mm. And basically what was happening was Bellamy's just burst onto the scene at in China and for Chinese consumers and kind of became for a little bit of time, at least the infant formula of choice. Yes. Now that seems to have come to a pretty quick stop and here's where it gets interesting. So the company's AGM, they said, everything's on track. And then two weeks later they said, well, things aren't going quite as well as we thought. And then a couple of days later they said, look, we might need to just downgrade that expectation again. Mm-hmm. Let's halt the shares for two days. So the ASIC said, okay, no trading for two days. Mm-hmm. And in the two days they came back and said, yeah, look, things are still a bit uncertain. We want to halt shares for about a month. Mm. And so the shares in Bellamy's haven't traded for a month. The market really doesn't know what's going on. We know nature abhors a vacuum. The investment markets abhor a vacuum even more. And this is a really big story. So Bellamy's, look, it was all about China. Sales out of Australian supermarkets to China, sales directly to China. All that stuff was going hot. Then Bellamy's came out, as I said, with that first announcement and said, look, the Singles Day promotion they have in China, that's their big shopping day, Singles Day. Mm-hmm. Didn't go anywhere near as well as we thought. And in fact, we've got some suppliers still working through some stock. Mm-hmm. Margins are going to be lower than we thought. Sales growth is going to be lower than we thought. Things are going to get a little rocky, but it's okay. We're still, we're still in this for the long term. We're mm-hmm. still looking okay. Mm-hmm. The problem was that literally less than two weeks later than that, they said, actually, no, we're not sure anymore. Things are, frankly, bleaker than they thought they were going to be even then. Mm-hmm. And they went from being confident at the annual general meeting to really having no idea to literally having to halt their shares. And just for, for those listening who don't know, the ASX halts shares to avoid shares trading with an uninformed market. So the very basic principle for investing in shares and for the market operation is that 
all investors should be trading with the same public information. And where there's uncertainty about that or where some people might know something other people mightn't, the ASX completely properly says, we're not going to trade shares until all of that known information is public. And when the company itself doesn't know, then they've just taken the the, the prudent action. This is absolutely the right thing to do, by the way, from the ASX's perspective and from Bellamy's to say, look, let's not trade our shares until we know what's going on and there's a public pronouncement. Yeah, you still got your shares. The company's still there. The company's still out there doing its thing. You just can't swap them for for money with someone else. And here's the real risk, though, is that when you've got to have a, a trading hop for a month, there's every possibility that short of a white knight or some sort of fantastically wonderful new development, that things are almost certainly going to be less attractive than they had been previously. So, so the the, the things that are, I guess are becoming more apparent as as this saga unfolds, and we, we should mention that um, that Bellamy's has told investors to expect trade to resume on, if you can believe this, Friday the thirteenth, a very <laughs> ominous date, a month from today, a week from today, a week I should from say, today. yes, yes, um, uh, and so. And, and the first thing is, it seems as though they've, they've, because the thing you've got to understand with Bellamy's is that they, they're not what you'd call a vertically integrated company. They buy their milk elsewhere. They do. Someone else packages it, bottles up. They basically do the IP. They do the branding. IP? Yeah. Uh, intellectual property. Intellectual property. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know what IP is. Right. Um, uh, and so, and, and it looks as though in this mad rush to meet this overwhelming um, mm. surge in demand, they've locked in a whole bunch of supply that now it looks like maybe they don't need, but they're still on the hook for. And it, that's that seems to be the narrative that's going around that they're trying to sort of sort that kind of stuff out. And I think this is the problem, Andrew. The company hasn't told us. And so the market is guessing, wondering, hoping. No one really knows exactly what's going on. As you say, the media reports, and frankly, the AFR in particular tends to be pretty well uh, pretty well sourced when it comes to these things. Yeah. But the, the, the belief is that it might have got itself in some cash flow problems yeah. because it committed to take a whole lot of milk and milk powder from suppliers yep. and then on-sell that to other customers. When sales were riding high, when growth was going through the roof, they've probably agreed to take a whole lot of volume. They now don't think they can sell. And that runs the risk of putting the company at some cash flow difficulties at the very worst case insolvency, but somewhere in between, we're going to have to either issue a whole lot of shares, take on a whole lot of debt, renegotiate some supply agreements. The company, the the challenge we have is this is all pure speculation. No one actually knows. We're working off media reports, off speculation of other things. But right now, that's the assumption that maybe they've got themselves into some cash flow troubles because they've agreed to take a whole lot of stock, assuming sales are going to keep you know going through the roof, and maybe they haven't done that, and maybe that means they're going to have too much stock, and maybe they can't pay the bills, and that. That might, and we're using lots of maybes and mights here, that might be why the trading hold is so long and, frankly, what's happening behind the scenes to try and clean things up. Well, speaking of, of going on uh, behind the scenes, <laughs> we've had some very major shareholders trying to spill the board. In other words, they're looking to to take all the directors there, boot them out the door with the exception of the chairman, mm. and they're looking to keep the CEO as well. Jan Cameron uh, of Kathmandu fame, uh, the, the, uh, she's the founder of, of, of that company. Um, her and the shareholders she's representing re- reportedly control about one third of the company and they're saying someone's got to be held responsible for this we're going to kick uh, we're going to kick uh, heads are going to roll yes um so that thing is happening as well so what what do you make of that or what do shareholders make of that as well is that going to be a good is that a good thing i I guess the first question is firstly how badly did they stuff up is this one of the i I think (laughs) when you look at this happens all the time and you look at things retrospectively and obviously mistakes were were made we don't know the exact to your point we don't know the exact details there mistakes were made but i think things look a lot more obvious in hindsight than than otherwise they do is 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 this one of those things where it just could have happened to anyone or do these do do heads (laughs) really do deserve to roll here Oh, mate, that is such a massive can of worms. I, I 
My general approach is we expect too much of our CEOs. We give them too much praise when things are great. We blame them too significantly when things are terrible because chance circumstance happens. If if sales hadn't stopped growing in China, if things had kept, kept growing and they'd secured this supply, they would have plenty of supply for the next three years. The shares are worth 30 bucks in 2019. Everyone's happy. And Laura McBain, the CEO, becomes CEO of the Well, year. in fact, they, they could have actually, by not actually putting, you know, um, uh, locking in supply, right. they actually could have copped a lot of flack if it turned exactly, out that, exactly. listen, we just can't meet this demand. Shareholders would be up in arms saying, what are you guys doing? You've got this license to print money and you're not locking in your supply. You are crazy. So I guess right, there's, exactly. there's, there's that wrinkle there uh, as, as well. So yeah. um, so here's the, here's the thing. I, I, think, I think Bellamy's have, look, so Fortescue, right? Fortescue Metals. Everyone knows the Fortescue story. Andrew Twiggy Forrest. Twiggy Forrest. We yep. love our we love our uh, celebrity CEOs to have nicknames. So yep. Twiggy Forrest and Graham Screw Turner at, at Flight Center. Twi- Twiggy's. Um, so Fortescue was very very close to death's door a couple of years ago. Yeah. Twiggy went to the the U.S. banks. I don't know if he literally went, but he went went cap in hand and said, "Guys, please don't stop our funding. Please continue to provide us with funds. We will be okay. We'll get through this. Everything will be okay." Quite frankly, you and I were on Sky News at the time saying, "I wonder if this thing will continue. Maybe this is maybe this is it for Fortescue." Well, now, was massive. Now, yeah. now looking back, and, and in all probability, because they've got Revolat debt, in all probability, in fifteen years' time, Fortescue is going to be one of the great Australian success stories, and everyone will be lionising Twiggy for doing a fantastic job, and deservedly so. Mm. But if those banks had said to him on that day, "Yeah, look, it's Sorry. been fun, Twiggy, but we're out of here. Yeah, we're, we're going to take your assets." You're out of here. Go back to your farm, and you know you have a couple million bucks left over, but you're not going to be the success story. Fortescue is going to be a footnote in history. A Nathan Tinkler, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. And so you think about, well, you know, does Twiggy deserve all of that success? Well, probably. But but does does Bellamy's deserve all the brickbats? Probably not, because mm. it, you know on such things fortunes twist. And so if this has been a year later, if the sales growth had been decent, or if it had been down a little bit, not down quite as much, you would have seen a very very different story. Um, uh, you know, in hindsight, could would should things have been done differently? Well, maybe, but. This is where you get into those scenarios of CEOs are own the job to do the best they can. Now, the market will demand heads roll because we're vengeful people and we like to see that someone's cop the blame for something. Pitchforks out. Right. Is it, is it, is it reasonable? Well, the question is, in, a, in the same circumstances, confronted with the same news, would a reasonable person have done the same thing? Mm. I frankly think, unless they had a reason to believe that the sales growth was going to fall off a cliff, then maybe you or I or anybody else would have said, okay, we understand this pay or take is risky. But we'll do it because we think on balance it's the best thing for the company, and it probably still was. Mm. We've got to wrap it up, but I guess the one thing I just want to I, I, I leave on here is if we're going to look back again with the benefit of hindsight, what mistakes, if any, did shareholders make? So the, the so the person who was yeah. buying shares in Bellamy's at ten bucks, yep. you know, it was this something I, I know, I've heard a lot of pundits sort of you now go, oh, you were you, they were obviously going to you know <laughs> fall apart. You're an idiot to buy it. I mean, yes, the price had risen up, you know. To, to really, really high levels, but relative to you know their, their expectation of earnings, I don't actually think it was that high. And this is a story with a long runway ahead of it. You know, they still had a huge market left untapped. Yep. You know, you, you're talking about a product that is incredibly sticky with huge amounts of brand loyalty, you know, Brand Australia, uh, the organic mm-hmm. story, all of this <laughs> kind of stuff. Yep. Is, is this something that investors realistically could have foreseen? Or is this just one of those things where, you know what? <laughs> Shit happens, for want of a better word, on the market. There, there are surprising things come out of left field, and that's just part and parcel of investing. Yeah, well, look, you know, we we at the Motley Fool do something very different to most people. We actually uh, embrace the grey that's between black and white. 
anyone else sitting around this microphone from any of the you know shiny bum high office tower placed in Sydney or Melbourne would sit here and say, I knew this was going to happen because. And everyone's a Monday morning quarterback. Everyone thinks they knew what was going to happen. People are still saying, I knew Bellamy was going to fall because. Mm. No one, no one, literally nobody in the market was saying six months ago, no. Bellamy's supply chain is going to be at risk because. And if no one said that in advance, don't believe yeah, anyone who says it after up. the fact. Yeah. You know, yeah. someone says, oh, I knew it was going to happen because. Mm. It was obviously too expensive. Well, mm. People said Bellamy was too expensive at two bucks, and then at four bucks, and then at six bucks, and then at eight bucks, and then ten bucks. Mm. And and frankly, only because I saw a high PE. Now, if Bell, in a different circumstances, I've said if Bellamy had continued to get sales growth, all those people would have been dead, dead wrong. Mm. They're not right because you, know, you you famously say Andrew, even even a broken clock's right twice a day, mm. right? So the, the reality, don't believe anybody who says I knew this or even I know what's going to happen next because no one can know. By definition, if someone tells you with certainty yeah. what they know is going to happen or they knew something was going to happen. Call bullshit and walk away because yeah. those people simply don't have a grasp on reality. No one can know anything. I know the sun's going to rise tomorrow. I know we're going to have to pay taxes and I'm going to be carted off in a pine box. Any more than that, I don't know. Mm. And anyone who tells you they know anything is lying to themselves and probably lying to you. All right, let's move on. Let's, There's so much we could talk about there. I'll just step down off my soapbox. Hang on. Okay, <laughs> done. I'm down. All right. Let me get off my high horse. There we go. All right, so the folly of forecasting. <laughs> we talk about this a lot, and we, we love to put the boot into oh, to, to those that, that do it. And if, and so we're not going to, are we? Well, oh, well, you bet we are. And, and, <laughs> and, and we can't leave this one hanging because this is this was one that, that is it was just brilliant. And absolutely, too. This, this falls into the I know what's going to happen category, oh, which, which it should have been our first sign. So we're not talking about some guy wearing a tinfoil hat on the corner here. We're talking about <laughs> one of the world's biggest investment banks here. Yes. Uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, one of their uh, senior uh, equity analysts, uh, strategists, whatever he was. Uh, <laughs> uh, choose, choose, choose the title you want on, yep. your, on your business card. He said, sell everything. This time last year, sell everything. So January everything. 2016, yep. sell everything. Sell everything. Everything. How's that going? China is going to collapse. Go Oil on. is going to be at sixteen dollars a, a barrel. World markets, on average, are going to be down twenty percent. Do you know like, what? Wow, Pessim- that was super specific. Pessimism sounds really smart. Well, it does. Really smart. If someone says, it you know, you better, be, you better be careful of this because you're like, oh, shit, he might be right. This actually could happen. You know. So what? 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 What did happen? Well, oil was supposed to be at sixteen bucks, right? Mm. What is it now? Uh, it's fifty something. Okay, and markets are going to crash. Yeah, well, here in Oz, the ASX is up almost 12%. But it was going to cr- US hit a, hit a record high. Oh, right. 20, I, 20, flirting with 20,000. Okay, I okay. Um, yeah. I, I, just, I just had a quick look in my virtual dictionary here, and, and the word cataclysm doesn't include any of those things. No. Now, here's the thing, right? So it's, it's, it's easy to have a lot of fun with this. China has set up a major correction, I think they said. That's the other one. How That's good is that? So look, now, here's the thing, right? So it, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to poke holes in this. But it I, really is. We, we need to hold up a mirror to ourselves. And I think every investor needs to, because if you think about <laughs> it, anyone who invests in anything, I don't care if you're buying art or you know emu farms or, or shares or, or anything. <laughs> property, don't buy other emu farms. You, you are, no, please don't. Um, you, you are making a forecast, right? You are, when I'm buying shares in, I don't know, I'll make up, uh, let's say I'm buying shares in, in Woolies today. Yep. I am in explicitly saying I am forecasting that these shares will be worth more in the future. I mean, otherwise, what the hell am I doing? No, right? no, I'm not forecasting at all. Aren't I? No. What am I doing? No. How do, so riddle me this, I guess is what I'm saying. Yep. How do I say on one hand, anyone who makes a forecast is an idiot, yep. but I'm going to be buying stuff which has an ex- implicit expectation of the future? Yeah, that's a really good question. And And- that is absolutely the nub. You know what? I, I talked to you before about this black and white and the gray in between. If you need certainty, investing is not for you. If you need to know stuff, if you need to guarantee stuff, if you need that certainty, you know what? 
realized you're going to get much, much lower returns and go to cash because yeah. you don't belong in the investment markets. No. The job of the investor isn't to forecast anything. It is to look at a set of circumstances and take an action that puts the probabilities of success in your favor. Mm -hmm. And if you do that often enough over and over and you're right about those probabilities, you will do very, very well. Mm. When RBS said, sell everything we're in for a bad year, they made two mistakes. One is they put a, they put a date on it. Yeah, that's, so that's it will end by X, yeah. right? Secondly, they made the mistake of trying to be short-term in the first place, yeah. which is also equally stupid. Yeah. Now, no one can know, if, if, and frankly, if RBS can't do it, mm. what anyone listening to this, anyone not listening to this, how are they going to do it? Mm. RBS have a, a, an army of quants and computers and strategists and every other, every other name Super of an equity analyst Super you can think smart of. People. Right, right. These yep. guys, are the, they're going to pay much more than you and I, quite frankly. <laughs> Don't uh, remind and, me. Yeah. And, and they're making stupid forecasts like this. Yeah. So- don't be short-term because no one can know what will happen. And if you're being longer-term, don't put a date on this stuff because it's just stupid. That's why I don't never go short things. You know, I think you can look yeah. at something and go, you know what, that is so unsustainable. This thing's going to end in tears. But, you know, irrationality can go on a lot longer than you think. And that's the danger with this stuff. It's not that you just need to be right, but you need to be right by a certain time. The way I like to frame it is, is I think that the approach that we're taking is that we want to be generally right as opposed right, to specifically right. wrong. So when I'm buying a, a share in a company, yes, obviously I expect that it's going to be worth more in the future, but I don't know when. I'm not saying it's, the share price is going to be X by this date. I'm mm. thinking, look, over the long term, mm. over the next three, five, 10 years, I'm likely to get a better return than what I'm going to get elsewhere. Am I going to be getting 8% per annum return on average? It's going to be 12%. It's going to be, mm. it's going to be mm. somewhere in that vicinity. But if I buy something and I look back in 10 years time and I've averaged 9.3% per annum, as opposed to what, you know, 12.2, I mean, am I really that worried? Yeah, right. And, and I think, I think that's the, the, the thing that is, is the first thing, you know, it's, it's that, it's that, it's that generalized um, view mm -hmm. as opposed to that specific view. And the other one, just to reiterate your point as well, is I think a lot of, a lot of the mistakes that people make when they invest in the share market is they think it's all about strike rates. Yep. You've just got to be right, you know, a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's just really not true. I mean, frankly, if you're right six times out of 10, you can be a phenomenal investor. Um, you look at some of Buffett's calls that He's made. We talk about Buffett all the time, and why wouldn't you? He's one of the he's well, the world's best investor. He makes he makes terrible decisions a lot of the time. It just turns out that when when uh, when you look at it, add it all up, he's making a lot more smart decisions than 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 bad decisions. And the ones that are smart do well compensate for the bad ones. And and this is the concern I have for people who get involved in the market. They they think, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to buy some shares. Yep. They buy a share and they, they put everything into this one, yep. or one or two things and it goes down 10% next week. They think, ah, this is all bullshit. I'm, I'm pulling out. It's all rigged. Yep. And, and and they forget that probabilistic element to it. I like you mostly when you're quoting me, Andrew. <laughs> that, that's, when, that's, when I, that's when I think you're the smartest. Look, no, you, you're exactly right. And this is, and this is, the, this is the simple reality to investing. You made, you made the point of being right six out of 10 times. That's exactly what we expect. Mm. And that is going to give you a very, very good return. Yeah. So if you you know expect to be wrong four times out of 10, if you go into investing expecting it better than that, mm. you're going to be disappointed. And that's yeah. when you're going to make stupid decisions, as you said, like seeing one share price down and getting out. Yeah. We, we, we both run investment services at The Motley Fool. Both of them have their fair share of significant losers. Don't remind me. And that's, well, no, but that's, the, <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, we actually, we actually should, we yeah. should be saying that, yeah. you know, remind us because if we're not making losses, we're not taking the right risks. Yeah. Because the gains that we've both enjoyed mm. are far excess of those losers. There are more of them. And we're doing better than the market overall by making those bets. So mm. we are absolutely embracing potential loss. We're embracing real loss yeah. on a position-by-position position basis. Mm. Because we know if we do this often enough and we invest sensibly and we invest foolishly with a capital F, 
that will end up with a market-beating return. That's been true for your service, for my service, for most of the services at The Motley Fool so far, for exactly that reason, that we are finding ways of saying we're embracing risk, we're embracing the potential for loss, we're embracing real losses when they occur, mm. because that's how you get the gains, is by, by rolling the dice, knowing that it's a loaded dice. Doesn't mean that a loaded dice doesn't always come up the way you want it to, right? Yeah. It just has a higher probability of, you know, if you get a coin that tosses 60, 40 heads, you're going to be, you're going to, Absolutely, make a killing. If you so get even even if it's landed tails the last ten times in a row, I mean, right? Every time I'm betting heads, right? And I, I play that game long enough, I'm I'm going to win a lot of money. And that's exactly what we do when we invest. All right. So okay, uh, nice one, RBS. Well done on, on your prediction. <laughs> I should I should have mentioned that this irony of ironies. The share price for for RBS was down forty percent last year. So, oh, <laughs> what a bad, take, what a bad year! Don't take their advice. Just tell take the, sell their shares. Yes. Look, that, certainty, certainty sells though, doesn't it? Before that, you move on, Andrew, one quick thing. Mm. When you open the AFR of the City Morning Herald this week, there's going to be exactly the same sorts of people making exactly the same forecast for this year. Yeah. And whenever you see expert X says the market will be at X price by the end of the year, remember RBS and use it for fish and chips. It seems to be the only gig in town where people can be wrong <laughs> year are after wrong, year are wrong. after year. And I say, if I went to the doctor right, right. and every time I go there, he's misdiagnosing, you know, he's saying, you've got this, you've got that, and he's wrong. I mean, after a while, I think, I'm not going to see you again. Right, I'm exactly. going to go see someone else. But exactly. in, our, in, our, in our business, you can be wrong as many times you like and people go, all right, so what do you think is going to happen next? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, let's, let's move on. Why don't we? Why uh, don't we? So here's, here's another little saga that's, that's unfolded in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. This, there's this business called uh, Hunter Hall, uh, a listed investment company. Right. And uh, so a listed investment company, for those that don't know, it's a company that that it makes its money by investing. Right. Right. On behalf, uh, of, its on behalf of its clients. Yeah. Right? So you, you own shares in this company. This company takes um, the, the, the shareholders money and they, they buy other shares and property and all kinds of things, right. whatever they want to buy. Uh, they make a profit through their investments and you get to share in that. So right. rather than making widgets, they're buying stuff. Yep. And there's this really neat one called Hunter Hall. It's really sort of famous, I guess, for its um, more of an ethical bent. They don't Correct. invest in coal companies and the rest of it. Uh, the the uh, recent, we've Recently, he's become the CEO. He's also the founder and the mm -hmm. chief investment officer, Peter Hall. A guy, a really smart guy, and a guy with a really long track record of outperformance. You know, one of those really standout uh, investors. Until November. Until, well, here's the thing. So shares in, in this LIC, in this listed investment company, was trading around $3 plus. And he's, like, he's out of the blue. He's, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. And I'm going to sell my shares for $1 each. So three, three, they were three fifty. Three, three fifty. You're selling right. for a buck, and he's selling it for a buck. Like, what's going on? We, we should say too. This is um, the reason I mentioned November is because he bet big that Donald Trump would lose the election, and he bet big that the the markets were going to fall once he'd won the election. Mm. And as we've just kind of talked about earlier, markets rallied and rallied hard on the back of a Donald Trump presidency. Yeah. So yeah, he was he was geared to win if markets fell. Mm. This is the two point about going short, Andrew. Yeah. Markets rallied, and he absolutely got caught. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> now, Peter Hall is a very accomplished investor. Yep. He's a very successful investor. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really does. It just reiterates the point we were just making before about the fact that trying to bet on outcomes and trying to be short are both really, really tough things very, to do. Very, very tough things. So he's basically gone, well, I don't really like doing what I'm doing anymore. Mm. I can make the money back that I lost, but I don't really want to. I don't, my heart's not in it. I'm getting older. Yep. Um, he's also, frankly, pretty pissed off with the world because he doesn't really like Donald Trump. And so he's pretty much said, look, guys, I'm out of here. I've had enough mm -hmm. and I'm gone. Well, look, it's his life. He can do what he likes, right? right? And he's a, but, but I guess what what there's a couple of things that, that people are scratching their heads about yep. here. The first one is, the, the the price at which he is selling his shares. Yes. So, so that's that's number one. The, the, and we'll get, we'll address these individually. 
the, the second one is the disclosure that's sort of mm-hmm. been here uh, uh, to, to shareholders. Again, you talked before about the importance of having an informed market. Mm. So when they when they informed uh, the market as to what was happening, yep. a lot of the detail was sort of left out here in terms of what Peter's intentions were, you know, uh, um, and how this was sort of going to play out. Yep. So so let's again, we, we are short of time because we've crept on too long earlier on in the pro- podcast <laughs> as we do as we do. So let, let, let's let's break this down. Okay, he's keen to get out. Yep. I get that. Yep. He's allowed to do that. But couldn't he have he sold his shares at two bucks each and still given the buyer a huge incentive and doubled his money? Why a dollar? Yeah, so here's the here's the question. No one can really know what conversations happen behind the scenes. Okay. The reality is Peter Hall was the name on the door of this business. Yep. And so the reality is if you have another fund manager coming in who doesn't do as well, Hunter Hall shares were worth three fifty because people believed in Peter Hall. Yep. And when he goes out the door, if the fund, not only, not if the performance falls, because that's going to hurt you, yeah. but the funds can simply go away. So people some just of the, withdraw their cash. Right. So some of the assets managed by Hunter Hall yeah. were these funds that people could take the cash out of. Now, mm. Hunter Hall makes money on the, based on the amount of cash it holds. Yeah. So $3.50 made sense when Peter Hall was running it and there's a lot of cash in those funds. Okay. If the new fund manager does badly, or no one knows how the new fund manager is going to do, because we don't know who it's going we to don't be. Know. Market hates uncertainty. And let's mm. say that half or three guys investors take their money and say, well, I backed Peter Hall. Mm. I'm not going to back John Smith. Mm. So they take their money out. If you're going to buy that business, you're not going to pay 350 for those you shares. You want a discount. Right. You're going to, and you're particularly going to want a big discount because you don't know how much mm. money is going away. Now, mm. if Peter Hall comes to you and says, I'd like you to buy my shares, please, but I'm out of here. Yeah. You're going to say, well, I'm not going to give you three bucks. I'm going to give you two bucks because mm. I don't know how much money is going to go with you. I'm not taking that risk. I don't want the business. Mm. If you want to sell it to me, you're, you're coming to me saying, please buy my shares. Yep. I'm saying to you, Peter, that's great. Make it attractive for me. Mm. Give me a reason to buy it. Otherwise, I'll say no. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. And so what's happened is- And he wanted it pretty, done pretty quickly, I assume, as right. well. So he just didn't want to muck around. Now, the other thing is Peter Hall, being an ethical guy, wanted to choose the party that he wanted to deal with. Okay. He had three bids on the table, apparently, we're told. Yep. And he chose one from Sol Pattinson, Washington H. Sol Pattinson. We've talked about them before. Fantastic, long-running business. He basically said, I want them to run my business. Mm-hmm. I want them to look after my fund, my unit holders, my, mm-hmm. the people who've got their funds mm-hmm. or their money in my funds. Mm-hmm. I want a known, trusted name, someone I trust, someone I believe in. I want the Milners who run Sol Pats to do that for me. Yep. And so he not only chose the price he wanted to sell, but who he wanted to sell to. Mm-hmm. And that also means that you're probably not getting, he might have taken the highest possible bid. Yep. He took the bid he was most comfortable with. Remember, of course, this is his shares, not anyone else's. Yep. So he simply said, you can take my shares. Thank you very much. He has a 43% stake in Hunter Hall. Mm-hmm. He sold 20% of that, or sorry, 20% of the total, so half that stake yep. to Solpats, because that's the most he can sell without Solpats having a takeover. Yep. So he sold 19.9% of the company to Solpats for a buck a share and said, thanks, guys, we're done. Okay. Now, frankly, he could have got more for that. Yep. Probably significantly more, maybe yep. not. It depends. I don't know what the other bids were. But the, ch- the, the issue was without knowing who's going to have that money, who's going to run that fund, no one's going to stump up and buy that business if if half, three quarters, two thirds of that money goes away because Peter Hall walks out. I, I, I get that, and and I, I see that he's approached it too with with shareholders' best interests in mind. Yep. But when you when you set a public price like that, or when you disclose a price which is at a significant discount, and you leave very quickly, I mean, aren't shareholders being dudded in a way? I mean, the transition could have been. I would argue, as much as I've got respect for for Hunter Hall and and, and Peter, that, that that could have been handled a lot better because the shares have since dropped by about 30 percent yep um they're still you know at 250 about about now yep um and and everyone's out there going well we've lost the star of the show yep he's ditching his shares we weren't fully informed as to what his intentions were i i bought something that could have been at three dollars fifty now how is that in the best interest of shareholders that's what i that's the that's the part i'm having trouble with yeah so the interesting thing for peter hall is there's two groups of of um 
investors here. Mm-hmm. One is the shareholders in Hunter Hall International, the mm-hmm. company he sold. Mm-hmm. But he's got a bigger constituency. He's got shareholders of his company, but also unit holders of the funds that he invests for. So he's not only looking after the shareholders of Hunter Hall, mm. but those people have their money in Hunter Hall managed funds. Okay. And so he's looking at those fund holders and saying, I want them looked after as mm. well. Mm. So he's not only deciding what's the right price for his fellow shareholders in Hunter Hall International, but also where are those fund holders, the people who invested in his funds, mm. where is their life going to be best off? And he's saying for those people, I want to look after their interests as well as just the pure shareholders, and I want them looked after by Sol Pats. So I'm going to sell the Sol Pats for a buck a share. So look, this saga is still ongoing. Yeah, we will follow with great interest. And I think we might even come back and revisit this in a future podcast, but we do have to put a pin in it. It is, it is ridiculously over time. Scott, thank you for your time. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for Fools. Uh, don't forget, Fools, you can subscribe to Triple M's Motley Fool Money through iTunes, or if you're an Android guy, you can go to the uh, podcast app of your choice. Uh, and if you like what you're doing, please give us a five-star rating. It really does help us out. And we really appreciate it. So uh, that's it. Until next time, happy investing and full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.